With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. You can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. Today, John and I are going to be making our picks, our fantasy picks, for the biggest fights of UFC 224, live from Rio de Janeiro on Saturday. It's a pretty solid main card. I know people sometimes are talking this one down, but it's definitely going to be worth your while to get it and also play on some DraftKings here. But, John, it's a fight-packed weekend. Uh, Outside of the UFC, is there any solid non-UFC fight you're looking forward to? I mean, there are, but, you know, I think this is still the main one because... There's a lot of different ways, and the most intriguing fight for me on this UFC card is the Sousa Gaspum fight, mm-hmm. because I think that actually turns the entire tide of the entire of the whole division, really. And I mean, like you said, you know, the under this isn't the strongest undercard, but the main card of this pay per view is going to impact a lot of the title chase in a lot of different divisions. So. There are solid fights outside of the UFC this weekend, but I think this this main card is kind of getting underrated in terms of how it can impact the future of the company. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, if you don't want to shell out the sixty four ninety nine for the pay per view, there's always uh, Bader versus King Mo on the Bellator card. You get to see uh, Paul Daly and John Fitch go at it. You know, decent fights. I'm most interested in the Vasil Lomachenko boxing match on ESPN. But Saturday, basically, uh, of course, UFC two twenty four is definitely tops here. You can't beat a UFC title fight uh, in any other promotion. But at the same time, it's it's just an awesome night all around for combat sports, and I'm very excited for it here. But let's jump 
jump right into the main event, John. As I alluded to, the Women's Bantamweight Championship uh, between Amanda Nunes and Raquel Pennington. I was a little bit surprised at first, but not very surprised after kind of settling in on it that Nunes is priced at 9500 on DraftKings, Pennington 6700 I believe that makes her the cheapest fighter on the card, or if not one of the cheapest fighters on the card. So some salary relief options if you believe in Pennington. And the odds have dictated that as well. You know, Nunes opened at around minus 530. Um, if you take an average of the odds on bestfightodds.com, she's about minus 740. But I've seen her over minus 1,000 on a couple of sports books. So, I mean, she's a big favorite. Pennington at least a plus 500 betting underdog here and uh the odds to finish are minus 225 so vegas basically says nunez is going to stomp out pennington within the distance uh so maybe not quite as bad as the rousey beating or, or even the even the misha tate one but definitely in there but i guess john to start out what i want to ask you is has amanda nunez really done enough to earn that price and those odds and is she worth a spot in your lineup on DraftKings? well it's a combination you know i think she has um, done enough to earn that kind of salary. Um, if you look at her wins, you know, her recent run, you know, it's undeniable. Valentina Shevchenko twice, Ronda Rousey, Nisha Tate, Sarah McMahon, you know, she's, she's established herself as the clear best fighter in a division that, um, is suddenly getting kind of thin after for a while looking like it was rather deep. And I think part of the reason she's such a heavy favorite in this fight is just because Pennington hasn't really established herself as much of a contender. Now, um, like I said, they're kind of running out of options as far as what to do with the title here. Um, there was talk forever uh, and, uh, and on about a uh, possible fight between Nunez and Chris Cyborg. Um, that was the fight to make. Um, for whatever reason, the UFC decided not to do it at this time. Um, but, you know, I understand why she's such a big favorite. Uh, she deserves to be such a big favorite. Um, Pennington, for the longest time, uh, you know, she's confident, but, you know, she certainly didn't give off the impression that she was a fighter who would be challenging um, for a title anytime soon. So I think that inflated price tag is as much about, uh, about the lack of, uh, you know, what would be termed a legitimate opponent as it is against, as it is about Nunes herself. But um, I'd be slightly hesitant to use Nunez in the lineups at 9,500 now. I certainly think she's going to win. And um, But the one thing you can say about Pennington is uh, she's been around a long time, and she's really durable. She's never been finished by strikes in her entire career. Um, one submission loss and four losses by decision. So she's proven to be durable. Now, should the fight go for an extended period of time, um, that could certainly favor Nunez from a drafting standpoint because um, you would think she'd be able to land with regularity. But mm-hmm. um, Not concerned about the cardio at all in, in, in the championship rounds? Not really. I think it's gotten a little better um, from Nunez. It was certainly, you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, I would have been a little concerned. Um, she seems to be doing better um, in that department. Um, she has twice as much power as Pennington does. And um, I'm just, I really don't see how Pennington wins, barring, you know, that fluke one-punch knockout that can happen to anybody. And Pennington has one knockout in her entire career. So, you know, that's not the way you would expect uh, the fight to go. So I certainly think this is pretty straightforward. Um, I'm always hesitant to use a fighter with that much, with that high of a salary 
simply because if you know something happens and they walk across the cage and they blow out their knee or something, you know the rest of your lineup is essentially sunk because you spent so much money on one fighter. But uh, she deserves to be a favorite. Um, the odds and the salaries they look right despite the fact they're both massively high and. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if she doesn't win fairly easily, and uh, I still think this is trending towards a cyborg fight with Nunez, if for no other reason than I just don't think the company has that many other options. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. That's where this this is heading, and uh, there's no doubt about it. I'm picking Nunez as well. I'd be very surprised if when staff picks come out on Thursday that the selection isn't unanimous. Now, I'm trying to really get creative and think of a reason where maybe or a situation where maybe you could use Pennington on DraftKings. And because she is, I, I, I checked, she's the lowest price fighter on DraftKings at 6700 uh, next to Baknovich at $7,000. Um, you know, if you use her in the fight in your lineup and hope that maybe she gets you 30, 40 fantasy points over if it does get into the fan- championship rounds, then you're going to be able to fit in three or four betting favorites into your six-fighter DraftKings lineup. If you use Nunez, you're looking at like, you're looking at maybe one more betting favorite, one pick them, and then you're trying to pick three underdogs. And that, that, that can be really crippling on DraftKings. Now, there's going to be GPPs where that is certainly worth it, and you'll, and you'll be able to do that. I wouldn't mind Nunez in, uh, in a GPP like that. But in your cash games, your 50-50s, and your head-to-heads, um, I think that price tag is too high. Nunez is a safe. She's safe. Uh, and, of course, that's what you're targeting in cash games. But you're looking at, you know, getting safety in one fighter in exchange for taking on a ton more risk in three other fighters. And, and that's not going to be for me. So I'm going to have a really tough time using Nunez in lineups at that price. Yeah, it's, it's risky. It is, but she's, her, you know, her run has not only been impressive, but it's been underrated. I mean, look, we're still talking about whether she's worthy of that high of a salary. And, you know, she's pretty much just run over the division for the last few years. So, that just shows while she's fighting great and defeating hot big name opponents, there still is some doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's close to a lock. She's not quite cyborg level lock, but you know she's getting there, and, and maybe she can come out and prove it again with another early stoppage. I mean, her her recent run of uh, of point scoring on DraftKings has been pretty solid. Eighty nine points in the last matchup against Shevchenko, hundred four against Rousey, hundred thirteen against Tate, seventy two against Shevchenko. Uh, so she's pretty consistent, but she might need that first round stoppage to uh, to to break a hundred points. But at the same time, who knows? We saw her go five against Shevchenko. I think no matter what Valentina says, she won that fight pretty handily. And and over the course of her career, 4.28 significant strikes landed per minute per Nunes. And that's a decent enough volume to uh, rack up some fantasy points there. So I, I, I can see her getting there. It's just it's so crippling for the rest of your lineup. And, and you have to have a certain level of security. She's almost there, but she's not quite there, at least in my eyes. But all right, John, we've got the breakdown of that down. Um, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory with the heavy favorite. But in the co-main event, we have a very, very tight, narrow matchup that I'm still struggling on myself. I could see myself changing my mind three or four more times before Thursday or before Saturday even. But uh, it's the co-main event. Exceptional fight in the middleweight division. Jacare Souza going up against Kelvin Gastelum. Souza the betting favorite and the DraftKings favorite. 8,400 for Souza, 7,800 for Gastelum. Souza about a minus 150 betting favorite. Vegas also likes this one to go the di- or not to not go the distance as the odds to finish on this are minus 245, which is 
pretty big, even for the middleweight division. So, uh, John, you do an awesome job breaking this fight down in your DraftKings preview on rotowire.com. Of course, all the MMA content is free on rotowire.com. But you want to give us the cliff notes of this one to tell us what each fighter has to do to win and, and in the end, make the prediction? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's the breakdown is pretty straightforward. Um, as far as Jacare goes, he sort of, I think, has to take a game plan from um, what Chris Wadman did get from in their fight um, in the sense that he's going to have a significant size advantage. He's going to have a significant strength advantage. And if, and obviously, Jacare's ground skills you know, are all world. If he's able to get gas going for the mat, um, he has the size and the strength, you know, and the body type to, to keep him pinned there. Uh, and, not, you know, that's not to mention, uh, you know, the threat for, for the submission game. Now, um, Gastelum's wrestling is extremely underrated. Uh, he's going to be a, the smaller man, um, as he is in pretty much any middleweight fight that he's in. Mm-hmm. He's giving up four inches in height um, to Jacare. Just one inch in reach, though, when I looked. Yeah, I mean, that what you know... Essentially, Gaston was doing well against Weidman, but in the end, he just couldn't make up for the size differential. Now, um, if Jacare decides, um, you know, he wants to stand on the feet and, and try and knock Gaston out, um, then I think Gaston has the advantage. Um, he's much younger. He's much quicker. He um, has a much more um, traditional striking base. Uh, his striking is more fluid than Jacare's. King's MMA uh, with head coach Rafael Cordero. I mean, best in the business. Yeah, he, he I, he's going to have a better um, chance of winning a sustained kickboxing match than Jacare will. Now, the question is, uh, given Jacare's size advantage, will Gaston be able to stay off of his back? Um, it was the downfall in the Weidman fight. It could very easily be the downfall for him here. Um, if Jacare makes, you know, a committed, consistent effort uh, of getting to try and get Gaston to the mat. But the way I looked at this was, when it was all said and done, um, Gaston is a slight underdog, not much, 7,800 to Jacare's 8,400, um, plus 130 for Gaston, minus 150 for Jacare. So you're getting, you know, a little bit of value with Gaston as an underdog. But uh, I picked Gaston. I'm like you. I went back and forth. And the reason I picked him was that I have more confidence in Gaston's ability to stay off of his back his, uh, as opposed to Jacare's ability to beat Gaston in the kickboxing fight. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, any um, – if this, if you're going to tell me this is going to turn into like a grind and, you know, a map battle, um, I think Jacare's going to win. But um, Gaston is tricky. He's a better – he has a wrestling background. It doesn't get talked about very often because, you know, we're usually talking about, you know, the volume and uh, how effective he is on the feet. You know, he lands nearly four strikes per minute compared to just over two and a quarter for Zachary. So, you know, there's a significant, you know, difference in volume to two throw. But, um, you know, Gaslam's younger. But like you said, this is a legitimate fight that can go either way. That's essentially what the odds and salaries tell you. And, uh, you know, I think this is more about as far as if you're making a lineup. This is just more about what you think, uh, how you construct the rest of your lineup and, and how much room you have as far as, you know, who you think, you know, will provo- just provide better value for how you construct your lineup. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I see where you're coming from here. There's no doubt that Gaslam is the sp- superior striker. He he learns from the best in the business. He's like you said, he's 26 years old, I, I, and that is going to be much more crisp and fluid. But I think there's going to be an issue with the size, and uh, I think I, I just think that Souza is going to be able to overwhelm him. So I'm going to go the other way on this one. I know it's kind of a cop out picking another favorite like this, but uh, I I do see this in a way being a little bit similar to the Weidman fight now. For GPPs, I could see using Gaslam, and there's a case to throw him in a couple of GPPs, and I might do that uh, because you could bank on that early stoppage. I mean, uh, Jacare Souza was uh, knocked out in the second round uh, with a head kick and punches by Robert Whitaker uh, before bouncing back with a, a stoppage finish of his own over Derek Brunson. Uh, so it's possible at 38 years old, maybe the chin's fading. You never like to predict it until you see it. Um, but but, but overall, I think Sousa is going to be able to overwhelm him a little bit. And the main reason I, I, I went that direction is because Kelvin Gaslam, you know, you said he's a good wrestler, and I definitely buy that he's a good wrestler at, at welterweight. But uh, as far as um, his takedown defense in the UFC, it, it's listed here on Fight Metric at just 58%. So I think Sousa, being the bigger man, will be able to get him to the ground, and that would be his downfall in this fight. Um, so so that, that, that's the way I see it, John. But I definitely understand your point of, of Gaslam being more than a live underdog. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I don't, I don't really think you know, Gaslam has to really, you know, the question is, is Jacare going to commit to the takedown for 15 minutes? You know, a lot of times we see guys go for takedowns early, not get them. And then, you know, he might not, he might fail on one or two of the first two or three minutes and then, you know, kind of get away from that the rest of the way. Um, Jacare, I think. Have a bad time if that's what he does. Yeah. And I think even if, and I'm surprised how often we see that, but you know, even it's where he has an advantage. So, even if he does fail early, you know, the first couple of minutes, you know, I think it's something that he has to stick with because if he fails in the first couple of minutes, but then, you know, is able to score a takedown halfway through the first round, you know, he can easily keep the asking pinned to the mat for the last, you know, two and a half minutes. So it's something that, uh, you know, even if Sousa gets off to a rough start in that area, it's definitely important that he keeps trying to get gas to the mat because he doesn't want to engage in an extended kickboxing match with, a kid who is, you know, younger, fresher, and a better striker. Yeah, no doubt about that. And then just to mention a tiny little X factor here, Jacare, this fight is in, in, in Rio de Janeiro, so uh, Jacare will have the Brazilian crowd behind him. I don't know if that's going to be enough to overpower it. Might help him if it gets to the judges a little bit. Uh, but, you know, just something to think about there, and, and that could very well be what stops the fight from being a pick from a betting perspective here. But I don't want to go dive too deep down that road here. Let's move on to the next fight. We got a women's strawweight fight. We called this on one of our last shows, John, uh, with Mackenzie Dern being a very rising marketing goldmine. You called her in the article, John. Uh, she gets a fight, another pay-per-view, because her... Her FS1 prelims did so well on the last card. Everyone was curious about what this girl has to offer. She gets a fight against Amanda Bobby Cooper, and Dern is a massive betting favorite. It almost not a massive betting favorite in a sense for Nunez, but she's 9100 on DraftKings compared to 7100 for Cooper. Dern is minus 230 in the betting favorite department. Vegas thinks this one will finish as well, minus 145 inside the distance. Now. I've seen prospects get built up a lot, John, and sometimes they go too fast and they get torn down. But looking at this matchup against Amanda Bobby Cooper, someone that's been submitted, um, all three of her losses were by submission, and we're going against Dern, the world jiu-jitsu champion. I just don't see any other way around this. Do you? Uh, no, but um, 
uh, this thing concerned me uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, Dern is really marketable as as we spoke as we spoke about last time, and you just mentioned. And the UFC has been guilty of pushing some of their young potential stars too quickly. Uh, Sage Northcutt comes to mind. Paige Van Sant comes to mind. So I will say this: even though the UFC is bumping Dern up to the main part of a pay-per-view after one fight. And we also have to mention, she didn't look great in her one fight, either, to be perfectly honest with you. It ended up as a um, split decision win over Ashley Yoder, but, you know, it was far from a um, standout performance. Not a 9,000-plus dollar performance. Oh, oh, definitely not. You know, her athleticism is obvious. Um, you know, you can tell she moves well. You know, you can tell that she has, you know, a base for future success, but she's 25 years old and she has all of six MMA fights under her belt. So this is going to be a a long-term process. Now, the way the UFC was smart about this was they gave her an opponent in Cooper that um, is essentially a liar. It's a fighter who, you know, to be perfectly honest, really isn't, you know, UFC caliber as far as making any sort of, you know, real impact, but... I would, and I wrote this up in, in our preview article, I would not be spending $9,100 on Mackenzie Dern. I was, I saw enough things in the first fight against Yoder that concerned me. Now, it's tough that, you know, given her athletic pedigree, um, will almost certainly get figured out over time. You know, she'll improve. But her fight against Yoder was, you know, all of eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. I really don't think she made all that much, you know, improvements in eight or nine weeks. So while this is straightforward and sure, you know, Dern has the athletic ability and, you know, the requisite skills to be a fighter like Cooper, who, you know, is nothing more than roster depth. I, uh, I would not feel comfortable using her in my lineup. I would put Nunez in my lineup at 9,500 before I put Dern in at 9,100 to give you an idea there. Uh, I would just stay away from this fight altogether. I don't think Cooper has enough talent or skill to pull an upset, and I don't think Dern has enough experience to really take advantage of what should be a massive athletic edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're using her in your lineup, you need to be banking on a first-round submission, and if that doesn't happen, and if we get into territory like we did in Dern's last fight, I mean, I believe she was a pretty hefty price tag around 9 as well, for yeah, she was nine thousand even for that last fight, and she only scored seventy three DraftKings points. So you're definitely not going to get the the optimal. You know, people always you know quote unquote shoot for the optimal. Uh, you'll be ruled out immediately for the optimal if that happens here. So you know, if it were like an eighty five hundred seventy five hundred split, I'd be a lot more comfortable using Dern. But then of course her ownership percentage would be way off the charts. So you know they have to keep it in check somehow. Someone with that kind of name recognition uh, that definitely helps their case. So, uh, but yeah. I, I'm, it's a risky move, but you know, just looking at Cooper's history, I mean, she's been submitted different times, different places. Um, it seems like the UFC picked the exact opponent that they wanted for Dern to get another win on her resume, and I think of that more than I th- start diving into any of these ladies' abilities. So you know that that's something to watch out for here. But uh, we can go ahead and move on to the next fight here. This one's a, it's a pretty chalk uh, explanation that we both agree to probably fade. Uh, maybe have 10 to 20% exposure just to be safe here. But let's look at bantamweight, John. John Lineker, Brian Kelleher. 
this is an excellent matchup. Uh, Lineker's 9,000, Kelleher's 7,200. Uh, Lineker minus 240, Kelleher plus 200. Odds to finish are plus 155, so you might not be able to count on one of those early stoppage bonuses, at least if you trust uh, at least if you trust Vegas, of course, here. But uh, uh, you broke this one down in the preview as well, John. Uh, how, do you, how do you think this one's going to play out? This is a really good fight, and it's a fight that's not going to be talked about. Um, Lineker has stealthily, that's the word, under the radar, um, established himself as a real legitimate force in the bantamweight division. Um, he had a lot of problems making weight at fly, uh, making weight at flyweight. The 125 pound cut was just too much of too much of a drain on his body. But at 130, 135, he was sensational. And uh, in the last, we're going on four and a half years, he has one loss, and that is to current UFC bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw. It's the only fight Lineker's lost. He's really, really, really good. Um, he rarely gets talked about. Um, Five, he's five foot two, and he has so much power in his hands that he remains one of the hardest hitters in the bantamweight division, despite um, you know being undersized. Now he's facing a fighter in Kelleher, who has uh, come into the UFC and really made a name for himself, uh, training out of Long Island, where we know uh, you know tons of fighters come from these days: Chris Weidman, Ally Quinta, John Vellante, Alvin Sterling, and so on. Um, Three and one in the UFC for Kelleher. Most recently, a win in February over Henan Burrell and Thotham in the unanimous decision victory. And while a win over Burrell in 2018 doesn't mean what it would have been, you know, 2013 or 2014, it was still an awfully impressive performance. Now, as far as you know, a pick for this fight, given everything we've seen from Lineker over the past few years, um, I certainly think he's the has to be your pick to win. But Keller has a bit of the unknown factor going. Um, he's proven he's been really good and, you know, can beat quality fighters. You know, early Alcantara, Corral, you know, he has some impressive wind on, under his belt. But a fight against Lineker, you know, is an entirely different animal. And Keller has talent and he's going to have a size advantage. So if, you know, you want to take $7,200 of your salary, which is not much, and, uh, you know, throw it at, you know, as a dart play, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Um, but he's facing a guy in Lineker who really, the only guy to beat him is the top guy in the division. So um, you have to be, unless you're a top guy, you're not going to, you know, John Lineker is not going to beat himself. So I, I don't want to, I don't know if I would term Kelleher, you know, a legitimate huge live underdog, but he has a shot. You know, it's not like, you know, other fights we see all the time where I'm like, oh, you know, this is over. There's no chance. Mm-hmm. Keller has a chance. So, you know, and his salary is awful low. You know, so if you're, you know, you have a lot of favorites that you like and, you know, you want to put, you know, an underdog in your lineup who has some semblance of a shot. You know, Kelleher at 7200 is not, not the worst play in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, John. Now, this one seemed a little bit closer on paper at first, but I started to dive into the matchups. I'm a little more impressed with Lineker's UFC resume. They do have an, a, a common opponent in, in Marlon Vera, uh, where, they, where let's see here, Lineker won via unanimous decision. Uh, Keller was submitted in round one. I don't know how much stock I really take into that. Um, but overall, I think uh, I think I buy Lineker uh, a little bit more in this fight. So I pick this. It's it's tough because there's so many big favorites on this main card that uh, I don't know if I have a, another $9,000 fighter. He, the price range makes it tough here because you're looking, Lineker is one of uh, four fighters over 
$9,000. You're looking at Dern. Uh, you're looking at uh, Marcus Perez. And you're looking at Amanda Nunes at 9500 You know, using Lineker probably rules out one of those other guys in addition to Mashida and Alves who are right up there. Close to nine nine thousand, so it makes it a little bit tough. I, I think Lineker is going to be going to win, but I only say that with about a seventy five percent confidence level because, uh, yeah, you, you know, you're right. Uh, I think uh, I think Kelleher has that unknown factor, and you know, you try to project ownership percentages when you're playing this game a little bit, and I think Kelleher is going to be relatively low owned on this card unless everyone somehow unanimously agrees that uh, he's he's the dog to play, which I don't necessarily see happening he'll be relatively low owned so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of gpp potential there for someone like that and then you know if you don't like lineker as much at, at nine thousand and want to punch Kelleher in at 7200 then maybe you do throw uh nunez in a lineup with someone like perez and maybe even a dern or Mashida, and you're good to go uh so again it's all about creating value and, and finding that salary relief and and Kelleher's maybe got a better shot than other people that are in his price range for sure yeah, he, he's a good fighter. I mean, and I, this is really going to be our first look at him as far as him facing, you know, a top five guy in the division. So, you know, we're going to find out, you know, how legit, you know, he really is. And that's certainly going to impact Kelleher's salaries moving forward. All right, John. So here's one for you. Uh, this is a legend versus legend fight. You wrote this in the preview. Two guys that probably should have retired about two to three years ago, but they're still kicking. And the UFC sees the marketability and the name recognition in this type of fight. Uh, so we got a middleweight matchup between Vitor Belfort and Lyoto Mashida, two legends of the sport, been fighting for decades. Um, you know, both have got plenty of highlight reel knockouts on their resume here, but. Uh, both finally uh, coming off a win here, I believe. So uh, they're going to get them together and, and see what happens. Vegas and DraftKings both like Lyoto Mashida. Uh, he's 8,900, a little bit of the younger fighter. Belfort is 7,300. Mashida minus 265 favorite. Belfort plus 225 um, underdog here. Um, this is a lot. There are a lot of question marks with this fight, John. It's it's tough to probably feel really confident uh, in picking either of these guys. But but do you lean one way or another here? You know, I I picked Machida to win. Um, I think Belfort is the better drafting play, though. This is a fight, like you just mentioned, where nobody with any confidence whatsoever can say what's going to happen. Um, I don't, you know, like I wrote up, I, you know, both of these guys probably should have stepped aside a while ago. If they're going to keep fighting, these are the kind of fights the UFC has to make against each other. You know, you can't have these guys fighting, you know, top 10, top 15 guys who are, you know, 15, 20 years younger than they are. It, you know, it just doesn't work like that anymore. So if you're going to have them fight, have them fight each other. Now, the way this breaks down to me is fairly simple. Um, Delfort like he has in pretty much all of his fights recently, um, is probably going to come out of the gate like a house of fire. Um, he's going to throw everything he has at Machida for however long he can hold up, you know, two minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever it is. And after that, Machida's probably going to control the entire fight. Now, the question is, I think there's a less than zero chance, you know, maybe 30, 35, 40% chance that that initial flurry that Belfort is going to fire off might be enough to stop Machida because I don't have any I don't have any confidence in Belfort I don't have any confidence in Machida either at this point and I am I'm surprised you know 8900 is a way is way 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 too high for me to get invested in Machida 
Um, and two six minus two sixty five is, you know, way too high of a Vegas line too, as far as I'm concerned. This is, I don't want to say essentially a pick 'em because if Belfort doesn't get an early stoppage, I don't see how he wins. But you know, there's certainly a chance that that first and likely only flurry that Belfort throws might be enough to get Machida out of there. So you know, if you want to. Take a bunch of favorites, just like we spoke about with Kelleher in the last fight. They have almost identical salaries. If you want to take a bunch of favorites and then hope for some quick, you know, knockout finish from Belfort, you know, I certainly think that's possible. I think he has a better chance of scoring a knockout than Machida does, but it's just Belfort's window of winning any fight at this point at age 41 is so small. He essentially has to get a stoppage in that, you know, that early window where you know, he throws all those shots, and most younger fighters just aren't going to let him get off like that, you know, for the two minutes or two and a half minutes or whatever. But mm-hmm. Machida is 39 years old, and he's going to eat a bunch of shots, too. So, L4 has a chance to stop the fight early, and, um, you know, Machida is certainly the favorite and my pick because, you know, the odds are worse than 50 50 if L4 does get to stop it, but he certainly has a chance because I have no confidence in Machida either. Yeah, when it comes to staff picks, I'm just going to go ahead and throw Belfour out there as, as a pick because, uh, like you said, anybody that can pretend to know a lot about this fight probably is lying to you, and it's really kind of a crapshoot. But I'm just going to go ahead and say, okay, Mashida, yeah, you know, he gets he, maybe maybe he's a slight edge if it was a straight up pick. Him, no prices, no odds involved. But uh, there's just too much profit potential on Belfort, and that's probably leading me enough to take a swing, and it's going to open up a ton of, of space in lineups. And if you do get 100 points from him because he finishes him in the first two minutes, then, then great. Uh, then you're then you're then you're well on your way to a to cashing in your GPPs there, you know. And if not, you're not necessarily crippled because you still have three pretty sizable betting favorites in your lineup using a fighter at 7,300. So yeah, I'll go ahead and pick Belfour, not with a ton of confidence, but uh, maybe that he can connect in these first couple minutes. Uh, he, what he needs is the testosterone replacement therapy, which uh, of course has been banned since uh, USADA came around. He can't do that anymore. You used to be able to get a therapeutic use exemption for that, but uh, doesn't appear to be the case anymore and he's tapered off considerably since you can you can tell with his physique and whatnot he's not so chiseled like he once was yes that's a polite way you know it's it is what it is if these guys you know i'm as our regular listeners know um i'm pretty strong about if guys are clearly washed because there are enough events and enough quality fighters in the world today outside of the ufc that I don't think the company. I know that I know the name recognition is big. You got two Brazilians fighting in Brazil, um, but I'm pretty I'm pretty a big believer in. If guys are clearly washed up, and you know these guys, you know, essentially are heck. Belfort retired a couple fights ago, and then you know announced his retirement, fought, and now all of a sudden he's back like nothing ever happened, and that seems to happen all the time now. So I would I, I would move on from guys like this. You know, let them go to Bellator and do what they're, you know, do what they're doing over there now. And, you know, have you want Nier and Fatal and all those guys, let them fight over there. But if they're going to fight in the UFC, have them fight each other. Because, you know, you don't need Belfort and Machida getting beat up by some 25-year-old like Kelvin Gaston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Belfort was supposed to fight Uriah Hall back uh, at UFC St. Louis. And, and Hall ended up not at making it to the scales. That would have been a slaughter. I mean, Hall would have destroyed Belfort. 
completely overwhelmed him. But now we get Machida, and that's more regular. And, and yeah, we're on the same page with this one. So I think we can go ahead and move on to the value play section of the show. John, we like some favorites. It's, that's the easy part. But picking your underdogs is what's going to uh, separate you uh, on DraftKings. And uh, there are there are a handful of uh, somewhat dogs. I mean, the undercard's not quite a quite the hype that we're used to with a lot of pay-per-views so people might have trouble with name recognition so introduce us to a guy or two john who do you think uh can can come through with a victory at at a, at a little bit of a lower salary well the first the main guy who, who i immediately who immediately stood out to me when i was you know flipping through the options stuff was nick hein um he's facing Dobby ramos hein is at 7700 while ramos is at 8500 now hein is the guy who has spent virtually his entire career um, fighting on the UFC's European cards. Um, he doesn't get much name recognition, um, at least amongst fans over here. And um, he's four and one in the UFC. His only loss is to James Vick, who obviously uh, we know is you know a very very good fighter. Uh, just actually, Vick just signed a fight. They'll fight Paul Felder uh, in Idaho in July, but. Um, Hines a good fighter. He, he's he's strong. Um, he's a little undersized for the division of five eight, but um, you know he's he's a good fighter. And the only real knock you can say on about Hines is that he has trouble ending fights. Um, all four of his victories in the UFC have come via um, decision. But he's really good and he's underrated. And um, you know to give you an idea of how much the UFC thinks of Hine at this point. He was actually um, supposed to fight uh, the bit uh, Magomed Shapiro, the guy who uh, was all of a sudden stud. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were looking, the UFC was looking to make that fight, and uh, it was supposed to happen last September, and Hine had to withdraw due to injury. But um, he's good. Hine's good. He's underrated. He's, uh, you know, and his native Germany... Uh, you know, TV star, actor, really well known, but he's former police officer. But he's he's just not he's an unknown quantity here in the United States and in North America. So I actually think that's playing into um, is probably going to be a low ownership percentage. And had had Hine been fighting in North America for an extended period of time and you know was more well known, I think you certainly would have seen a higher salary for him. So I like Hine. Oh, uh, nice. I think, yeah. And then uh... I think. Underrated. Yeah, oh, I was going to go ahead and make a point about Davy Ramos, uh, how he has cut it close. Ramos has a pretty brutal weight cut. He's one of those guys that California recommended to uh, to do regular check-ins, or at least rumored to be one of those guys. I don't have that with 100% certainty, but all indications seem to think that beyond Nunes and Pennington, he would have been the third one because of a history. So if he has a tough weight cut mixed with Hind coming in, I hadn't really considered that before, John, but Thank you very much for bringing that to my attention because uh, that's going to definitely open up some space in DraftKings lineups. Uh, You know me, when I looked at these values, I like to pick out odds value. And uh, one of the guys that comes up for me, I know he's older than his opponent, but Thales Lidis is 7,900 and he's only a plus 135 dog. So he's not very much of a betting underdog. He opened at plus 160 and had some money move back towards him. Uh, you know, part of that could be because he's fighting in his own home country of Brazil. Uh, Novo Unal product. Uh, I believe that's the same gym as uh, Aldo, but, uh, but he's fighting in his home country of Brazil. Um, and 
you know, I've seen him as low as plus 115 in the betting odds. The guy's never been knocked out. I'm just, you know, I got a sure dog page up right now. Um, he's, you know, he's lo- he's two and four in his last six fights, and that doesn't seem great on the surface, but lost to Brad Tavares, lost to Christoph Joko, Jagar Musasi, and Michael Bisbing. I mean, that's that's a pretty solid row of middleweights there. I mean, that's almost as good as it gets in that in that middle mi- or the uh, that in between middleweight tier. So at seventy nine hundred, I think he's okay. I mean, Hermanson, he, he's seven years younger. Certainly, will give him that. Um, he did get knocked out in his last. Uh, fight in the first round and he has been submitted within the second round so you know he can be stopped early uh you know maybe Leeds isn't quite what he once was but at 7900 i think i'm okay with that what do you think john am i nuts no you're not and the reason you're not is because he's just uh tell us that he's gonna have such a significant advantage on the mat um you know he, i'm a little worried about how much he gets hit these days you know he, he certainly doesn't move as well as he used to at age 36 but if he's able to get hermits into the ground um, you know, he has such, you know, an advantage in his, you know, uh, jujitsu skills that he, he makes for an interesting play. You know, this, like we've talked about before, this under the card isn't full of you know, big names. You know, you look at, you know, the upcoming Chicago card where, you know, the last fight of you know, the first fight pass card it, fight is going to be like Joseph Benavidez and Sergio Petty. You know, it's going to be something insane. You know, that's not what this is. But in a way... Uh, a card like this is more interesting, you know, for DK owners because it allows for a lot of mixing and matching. You know, a lot of guys on the undercard with similar salaries. You can make arguments, you know, for different fighters. So it allows you to do more with your lineup, you know, with the guys you do know a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. I think we made our listeners a GPP lineup on this show, basically. You know, you throw in Hine, you throw in Leedies, maybe you throw in Belfour for your first three. Then you can take your pick of any three favorites that you like. Uh, if you're with us, yeah. there you go. So, there, I mean, there's your DraftKings lineup. Yeah, there there are a bunch of options. You know, there's no there's no really no one. I mean, maybe other than Marcus Perez, you know, there's really no favorite on the undercard who, you know, you look at it and you say, oh, that guy's gonna that guy's a lock. You know, it, it's just not there in this one. So, um, and that's really how this card is throughout. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be picking Pennington and you know, I wouldn't be taking Cooper, but um, you know, other than that, I mean, I, I guess you could make you know make at least a legitimate argument that. Pretty much any other fighter on the card has a chance to win, which given, you know, 13 fights or whatever, that, you know, 24 out of 26 fighters have a chance to win. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Marcus Perez real quick. He's the only other fighter outside of Amanda Nunes on the entire card that shows up at around minus 300 or greater on any or on any sports book that I see. You know, he's not across the board of all the sports books, the best fight odds list, but he, but he's up there, and that and that Perez fight has a minus 195 odds to finish. So if you you know if you're like me and like to look at the odds and, and weigh those heavily uh, and and take that into account when building lineups, uh, you know, there's one of those favorites that you'd probably consider using as close to a lock as it gets on this card filled with a ton of close fights we're going to see a wide variety of ownership percentages a wide variety of lineups and the optimal is going to be incredibly unique tonight because there will be some upsets on the undercard uh that will work on there uh so let's see any any last thoughts on the card john i mean it's you know it's one of those things it's just kind of top heavy and as we move summer and you know spring now and you know we start moving through the summer the cards is at least the pay-per-views are going to pick up and even um, some of the, the Fox cards and a couple of Fight Night cards, what's upcoming is they're starting to stack events, and this is what they usually do. This is kind of a downtime for the UFC, you know, early spring, and then as you get you know, into later in the summer and International Fight Week and you know, whatnot, the overall quality of the cards seems to pick up. So while the undercard here 
you know, is a little light. It has intriguing fights as far as an entertainment standpoint. And, you know, for the, for the most part... Uh, For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.